My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Helen Lensky and Lisa Schofield. Gentrification is a process of intervening in neighborhoods in ways that a. displace poor people, often disproportionately poor people of color, b. destroy poor communities, again, often but not always poor communities of color, c. remake those spaces for the benefit of people who are better off, and often whiter, and d. make people who are already rich a great deal of money. How exactly the process plays out varies from place to place. Often, those who stand to profit from such destruction take great care to paint the changes that it involves as positive and beneficial. Sometimes this is as simple as pointing to the great new things that gentrification might bring to a community, while leaving out how the presence of new businesses that existing residents can't afford, or services in which they are made to feel unwelcome, is precisely a way in which people are made to feel like strangers in their own community. Sometimes it is through framing existing residents as sources of danger, through framing them as other so they can be policed, regulated, and displaced accordingly, and so destroying their community is itself seen as a benefit. But sometimes the process is eased by some sort of progressive veneer, some sense that the action being taken is a step towards some sort of progressive goal. This is what the members of Queer Trans Community Defense argue is going on with plans by the City of Toronto to take the existing John Innes Community Centre in Toronto's downtown East neighbourhood and remake it into a shiny new sports and recreation facility. The new sports and rec centre is being pitched as, well, it was originally framed as LGBTQ-focused, though more recent communications from the city use the language of inclusive. Downtown East is one of the poorest urban neighborhoods in the country. Its residents include lots of poor people, lots of homeless people, and more than a few people struggling with addictions, living with mental illness, engaging in sex work, and so on. And it is under intense pressure from gentrification, with the neighborhoods on all sides of it already well down that road. Queer Trans Community Defense is a group of LGBTQ people, many of whom themselves live or work in the downtown East, who are staunchly opposed to the new sports and rec center. Given several decades of thriving LGBTQ-centric sports leagues in the city, they're skeptical that an entire new center with that focus is necessary. More urgently, however, they argue that the specific redevelopment proposed in that specific location will just be one more piece of gentrifying the neighborhood, a shiny new space in which existing poor and homeless residents, including those who are queer or trans, will not be welcomed, and which will contribute to displacing poor people, including those who are queer or trans, destroying their community, and remaking the downtown east in the interest of developers. Helen Lensky is a retired academic who has worked on issues of gender and sexuality in sport since the 1980s and who has been an activist since the 1970s. And Lisa Schofield has been involved in the Ontario Coalition Against Poverty for 13 years, doing work around welfare, disability benefits, housing and homelessness in the downtown east. 
They speak with me about their opposition to the new sports and rec centre, and about the broader struggle against gentrification in Toronto. We spoke by Skype to phone. My name's Helen Jefferson Lansky. I'm a retired academic writer and researcher. My focus has been on gender, sexuality and sport since the 1980s when I started that line of research. I've been a community activist since the 1970s. My name is Lisa Schofield. I'm part of the Ontario Coalition Against Poverty. I've worked a lot around issues in the downtown East neighborhood on homelessness and specifically homeless women and impacts on sex workers and drug users in the downtown East neighborhood. The Queer Trans Community Defense came together this past summer as a coalition of different individuals who are concerned about the gentrification in the downtown East neighborhood of Toronto specifically a proposal for a LGBTQ sport and recreation center at Queen and Sherburne, which is the site of an already existing community recreation center called John Innes. So before we get to talking about the specific project that you're organizing against, tell me a bit about the neighborhood and about the ways in which gentrification is threatening it more generally. The downtown East neighborhood is around Dundas and Sherburne in Toronto, and it's one of the poorest urban neighborhoods in all of Canada, second only to Vancouver's downtown East. And so there's a really high concentration of homelessness, of services that are geared towards people who are homeless and street-based. There's a lot of social housing, though obviously not enough. There's several shelters, and it's sort of like a corridor area of a high concentration of poor people. And there is surrounding it a lot of wealth and there is a lot of condo development happening and there are a lot of large houses that have been converted back from rooming houses into single family mansions. And so there is this struggle going on in the neighborhood because it is so close to the downtown and it does have such a high concentration of services and poor people in its midst. So it is a bit of a battleground. So recently we've been seeing a lot of Proposals from the city about, you know, these buzzwords around revitalization to the north and the south and the west is the same sort of process happening. And the same sort of language is being brought in of revitalizing George Street, which is one of the major corridors in the downtown east. And it's where the largest men's shelter in Canada is on George Street called the Seaton House. And that's the proposal right now is around revitalizing Keaton House, which is basically to level it and replace it with something new. Keaton House has about 350 or so beds now, and the new proposal is going to reduce it by about two-thirds of that. And that's typical of the kinds of changes and the city's new approach to shelters downtown, which is to reduce it the size and the number of shelters to sort of accommodate this encroaching gentrification, the, the huge numbers of condos that are being built and the desirability from some perspectives, from middle-class perspective, I suppose, of having accommodation close to workplaces downtown. So that is a threat to the neighborhood. And from my analysis of the George Street so-called revitalization program, the idea is to get everything very neatly contained under one roof in this new complex on George Street, all under surveillance with security and designed in a way that was going to, according to the plan, minimize illicit behavior so that there wouldn't be the kinds of organic neighborhoods that exist now. It would be very carefully planned, um, to my mind, with a surveillance agenda very 
center stage. Tell me more about the specific project you're concerned about, the plans to build a queer-focused rec center in Moss Park. Because I've been focusing on issues of equity and gender thought and sexuality for a long time, this proposed LGBT-focused thought center grabbed my attention a few months ago when a colleague sent me an email about it and then mentioned that some people involved with OCAP were going to be following up and had formed a group and uh, joined that group, the Liquid Trans Community Defense. I guess from some perspectives, people reading my critiques of all this would be surprised because I've been a fairly outspoken advocate for and on behalf of women's groups and LGBT groups to get a fair deal in sport and recreation, to get equal access. I've done a lot of work on homophobia in sport and sexual harassment in sport. So from some perspectives, it might seem that my position is kind of contradictory because I'm opposing this particular project, but my reasons, which we'll no doubt get into, have more to do with the wrong time and the wrong place rather than the concept of, of an LGBT sports center. Although at one level, having looked at these topics internationally for several decades, and having read the promotional statements by the supporters of this center, they're saying this will be a first in the world, and I think they're right in that I haven't come across anything like it before. And so I would question, since in Toronto specifically, LGBT sport has been thriving for 20 or 30 years, the idea of a separate LGBT-focused sports center, the advocates don't really convince me of a pressing need for that. And also having myself been a member of grassroots community groups since the 70s, looking at bigger issues of poverty and social justice, social injustice, inequities, housing and homelessness. So having that broader perspective on social justice issues and opposed to the idea of a LGBT-focused sports centre dropped into the middle of a very mixed neighborhood with condos to the south and in that exact location around John Innes Moss Park, enormous numbers of vulnerable people living on the streets with addictions, with physical and mental health problems, sex trade workers, a lot of people whose lives would be made worse if the area is gentrified and if that kind of sports center was dropped into the middle of this neighborhood. And it's not good enough from my perspective to say that the condo owners are going to be involved just as equally as the sex trade workers or the homeless people in the consultation process, which is the story that we heard last night when some of us attended a meeting with the director of the 519. And for listeners who don't know Toronto, the 519 is a major community agency that is focused on serving LGBTQ communities in the city. So the 519 people at the meeting last night emphasized from the start that this is no longer called LGBT-focused sports centre. It is a sports centre that would be built if if the approvals all go through, built and operated by three parties, basically, an anonymous donor who would fund about a third of the final cost, so a third of $100 million. The 519 would do fundraising helped by the anonymous donor for the second third, 
and the third third would be public money from various three levels of government, they hope. And then when it's in operation, it would be 519 staff and parks and rec and forestry staff. In other words, all city operated, but they assured us last night that it would be thorough consultation with all the stakeholders and then envision the public meeting where condo owners, for example, alongside trans sex trade workers, would all be in the same room having a, a nice conversation about what they wanted to see in the new sports centre, what programs and facilities they wanted, and they'd all be on the same page thanks to skillful facilitating that would be in the hands of paid consultants, not community-based people and to take charge of the communication plan. And I thought that was one of the most significant points that was raised last night because this, for me, was in big letters. We are managing the message. And Helen, tell me a bit more about the history of queer sports and rec stuff in Toronto and about the basis of your skepticism that this particular centre in this particular place is necessary. Some of these sports leagues and programs started 20 or 30 years ago. Men's and women's hockey, softball, women's soccer, men's softball. A lot of gay and lesbian leagues had their beginnings in the sort of heyday of the 1980s and just went through the process of applying for permits for grounds or facilities through Parks and Rec and dealt with in various ways if there was harassment or any kind of homophobic issues coming up. In my experience, I played badly in the lesbian softball league in the 1980s and problems were very few and far between in that era in my experience as just two or three years of being involved. There's a women's hockey league that is predominantly lesbian that's been playing at the Moss Park Arena for 20 plus years and certainly the Moss Park Arena and change rooms and everything need work in terms of just the basic physical facility and if possible that things could improve by way of women's feelings of safety but that is actually true of virtually any part of the city so I wouldn't single out Moss Park as being a particularly dangerous place for women. Back to the question of the sports leagues, when this first was proposed to the city in 2014, one of the councillors asked the staff who had done some background research, was there any evidence of lesbian or queer clients being turned away from existing parks and rec facilities or programs or saying they weren't welcomed or that kind of thing and they didn't seem to be evidence. Certainly, it's hard to believe that so many dozens and dozens of sports leagues would have kept going if there had been very serious barriers to queer participation. An interesting aside, the city's parks and recreation timelines for putting money into renovating existing buildings that we were told last night that Moss Park, Don Innes, would not otherwise be renovated until the 2020s or something like that, way, way, way down the line. So the windfall of a gift from an anonymous donor to heavily subsidise the brand new centre was seen, and some of the councillors said at the time, was seen as an opportunity that couldn't be missed. 
So it would seem foolish, according to this line of thinking, to reject the gift. But on the other hand, the gift comes with strings. It's not just a gift for mm -hmm. the existing users of the Mosque facilities. It's a gift to the 519 and then sort of redirected down to Moss Park. So that in itself raises concerns for us in the queer trans community defense. How did queer trans community defense initially come together? We came together by reading the proposals that were coming forward around John Innes Community Center and specifically the recreation center that Helen is talking about. Mostly folks through OCAP and then other people who live in the neighborhood or work in the neighborhood called together a meeting of those of us who are queer and trans and just went from there and then started to add people as they expressed interest. It happened pretty organically and pretty ad hoc, but we've been continuing to meet and new people continue to come and we released a community statement that a lot of people have signed on to, a lot of organizations have signed on to as well. So it is steadily growing and gaining interest. And I think people within the queer and trans community do have a sense of the loss of radical politics within our community around, you know, the issues of pride and things that have happened within the gay village, quote unquote, and just the changes that have happened within the village over time as well. And so I think the point is there and people's attitudes and politics are there to challenge this kind of thing and to see this as, you know, a possibility that could come from the sort of upper echelons of the LGBT community, quote unquote. And so it's a good time to bring this forward and show that there are those of us within the queer and trans community that maintain our radical politics and want to talk about broader issues of gentrification and poverty and the issues facing poor and working class people in the city. So we wrote first a statement on what was happening, and then we issued it as a community statement and got people to sign on. We also went to the 519 annual general meeting and just handed out the statement and a simple flyer and asked questions of people going in. And a few people went in to attend to try and ask questions inside. They weren't able to really do that given the agenda and the kind of space that it was. But we did that and flyered people and had a good response with a lot of people going into the annual general meeting. And we're meeting with the executive director next week to try and get a clear sense of what's going on. A delegation of people are meeting with her next week. And Helen wrote an article and giving the background of what's happening and just trying to get it, the information out there. Because I think part of the problem also is that people don't really know that this is happening. It's sort of been under the radar a little bit. So we're trying to get it out there that this is happening and what's happening in the neighborhood in general and the loss of shelter space in the neighborhood in general. And then we're going to be hosting a community event, more of a town hall in the spring as a way to keep drawing the issues together and talking about what's happening in the neighborhood and the issues of gentrification under a rainbow flag and the use of LGBTQ language and things like inclusivity as a gateway for gentrification in the neighborhood. In terms of the community meeting, we really wanted a meeting on our turf and on our terms. We're not content to be consulted during this formal, quote, consultation process. We want to call the shots in terms of the time and the space and the format of a meeting and not have breakout groups and professional facilitators and that kind of thing, but give people a chance, including people whose voices are silenced, 
in these neighbourhoods um, give everyone a, a chance to speak out and get involved and follow up with joining our group or in whatever capacity they want to. Certainly last night it didn't inspire my faith in the process to hear about the consultation that they plan to do. There's so much tokenism involved with consultation when it's in the hands of the city. So we wanted our approach to be completely different and coming from the grassroots up. And last night the executive director and another staff member got an A plus for their ability to speak in not just paragraphs but entire chapters about this project. Very well rehearsed statements about every aspect of it. And it felt to me, as somebody who's been in this trade for quite a long time, I felt a bit whitewashed by the whole thing. So that kind of language and that kind of taking their lion's share of the time to speak at us didn't bode well for future consultations. Earlier in the interview, you put this project in the context of the broader process of gentrification happening in the neighborhood. So now, why don't you put your resistance to this specific project in the context of both the broader resistance to gentrification that's happening and the kinds of resistance that you think will be necessary in order to put some significant roadblocks in the way of the process of gentrification? We see what's happening at Moss Park and John Innes Community Center as sort of an extension of the proposal on George Street and the whole revitalization of Seton House. And a lot of the language that you've seen used is around safety. And this neighborhood is so dangerous and there's so many drug users and there's so many people walking on the streets at night and it's dangerous for people, it's dangerous for homeowners, it's dangerous for LGBT people in the neighborhood and sort of separating out the other in that process of, you know, there's these really dangerous poor people in the neighborhood, so we really got to mix the income up and bring in more upper-class people so then it becomes safer. So that's a lot of the language that's being used, so that's where I think it also really ties together. And whose safety are we talking about? And that's really being used to talk about how poor and homeless people are the problem. And they're the source of people feeling unsafe in the neighborhood, of certain people feeling unsafe in the neighborhood. And I think right now, in the broader struggle against gentrification and I would say austerity in general, which is causing a lot of the cuts to happen to services in the neighborhood, it's a really, really key moment. And we're really at a crossroads in the downtown east neighborhood as things move really quickly towards development. And the corridor, the Dundas River corridor, is really surrounded at this point. And we are seeing a loss of services in the neighborhood and the proposal of a huge loss of shelter beds at Seton House. So it's a key moment right now. As OCAP, we're trying to step up around the loss of shelter beds in the city in general and the overcrowding in the shelter system and specifically on George Street and Seton House and what we're seeing happening there. And also, there are quite a few empty buildings in the neighborhood, one of the main buildings being 230 Sherburne, right at the corner of Dundas and Sherburne, which is a building that we've occupied, OCAP has occupied in the past, and demanded that it be turned into housing and used to be used as a rooming house, but has, for the most part, sat empty for quite a few years and is now potentially going back to being a rooming house after we've put forth a lot of these demands for that house. 
but right next to it is an empty lot. So we're all watching very fearfully about what could happen any day with that lot and who's going to buy the lot and what's going to happen to that house. And why isn't the city or the province stepping up to ensure that that becomes social housing in the neighborhood or becomes social services in the neighborhood? And the loss of that corner would be huge and just devastating. So it is a really important time and queer trans community defense mobilizing around the issue of Moss Park and John Innes is also really key to the whole process that's happening in the neighborhood from the north and the south. That corner of Dundas and Sherburne, if we can have a win at that corner and be able to win space at that corner, it would be a huge roadblock to development in the neighborhood. And I think the other thing is George Street. If the city is able to break George Street and break it up into this multi-service hub that they're talking about, then that's going to be a huge loss to services in the neighborhood and is really going to open up for development across Dundas. Because I think a lot of developers see George Street as an impediment to moving in further into the neighborhood because in their words, it's so unsightly and it's so unsafe and there's so many drug users and there's so many people walking on the streets. So if they can break George Street up, then it's a clear road into the rest of the neighborhood. So those are the huge points of struggle, I think, for us, as well as Moss Park, which is an extension of George Street, really. And if we're able to have some wins on those points, I think we can have a real fighting chance to keep the services in the neighborhood, to keep the community that is existing in the neighborhood. You know, a lot of people talk about, well, it's a high concentration of poor people and it's so awful and whatever, but they also forget that people have a sense of community and that they've lived there for a really long time. And people have, you know, the places they go, they have their friends, they have their family. And so it's breaking up a community that exists. We really need to, I think, remember that when we talk about who lives in that neighborhood. I know that other cities, not just Toronto, are also struggling with a homeless crisis and the lack of shelter space. And I think it's an issue across Canada. So gentrification is a situation we're facing in Toronto, and I know that happens elsewhere. And I think the lack of funding and the lack of resources and public resources towards services for homeless people is a real crisis. And the lack of housing is a real crisis. And for people to join together and talk together across cities right now is really key and really important in how we mobilize for housing and for shelters in all of our cities and all of our communities. You have been listening to my interview with Helen Lenski and Lisa Schofield of the group Queer Trans Community Defense. To learn more about their work and about the struggle against the new sports and recreation center proposed for Toronto's Moss Park, go to queertranscommunitydefense.blogspot.ca. That's queertranscommunitydefense.blogspot.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.